As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today an author, a friend, a real, true, gentle man. His name is Emilio Diaz Barroso, and he perfected the art of appearing very successful. How do you like that? Emilio manages two family offices, a venture investment firm. He sits on the board of over a dozen companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's making fun of himself and his bio. But up until recently, he was always trying to get somewhere other than where he was. Does this sound familiar to you, our listener? Seeking recognition, achievement, love, success, finally, enlightenment. And in pursuit of enlightenment, he was forced to face, of course, what all of the seeking had been trying to avoid, his own sense of unworthiness. We are going to have a very real, very enlightening very intimate conversation today about this pandemic of unworthiness that is rife amongst us. Emilio is the father also to three incredible teachers, as he calls them, children who are grown and resides in Los Angeles. His book, which I am holding in my hands, which I strongly recommend you go look at, is called The Mystery of You. Emilio, welcome to the podcast. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Oh, bless. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. The uh, first chapter is called The Operating System. And I thought it might be nice for our listener to hear what that means to you in this context of the mystery of you, this book, this beautiful book. And um, I also want to tell our listener the subtitle of this book is Freedom is Closer Than You Think. And I think that's important uh, as we launch into chapter one, because it is closer than most of us are led to believe. And I'm excited to talk to you about this today. So the operating system, Emilio, tell us. Oh, yeah. You know, I deal with a lot of people that are in the tech world. I run this venture fund and a lot of the investments that we make are in individuals that have somehow challenged a lot of the ways that industries run. And they look at what has worked in the past and they examine it from the perspective of, is that still relevant or is there a different way or a more efficient way, a better way of doing it? And I noticed that very few of us actually have that approach with ourselves where I think we run this, what I call this operating system, this programming that somehow has code, to continue with a metaphor, that has been um, many times just generationally passed, and a lot of it is no longer relevant. Yet we, instead of looking at how this programming 
is running us, I think most of us just find different patches, different ways to cope with it, to address it, to make minor tweaks in it so that life becomes more tolerable, so that we reduce a little bit of the hardships so that when we experience uh, stress or other things that society somehow has normalized, we just have our default go-tos that uh, allow us to get by. And what I am inviting is this whole new approach to looking at that programming and that uh, inner software. The corrupted code. And I've talked about this with several of my guests. We are taught that productivity is valuable and leisure, leisure is not. We're taught that resting is a problem and continuing doing busy, busy, busy is better. When we get stressed out as a result of all this corrupt code and corrupt programming, we turn to whatever will numb us most efficiently. And for most of us, you know, listening here, there were a million different addictions, shopping, food, uh, the shittiest relationships possible, you know, all the way to drugs. So, yeah. Yeah. And even, even getting busy. Saying yes. Right. Getting busy. Getting yeah. busier. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen myself do that plenty of times. Yeah. Plenty of times. I'm working really strongly. That's my last sort of my final frontier is like, hey, it's Saturday morning. Girl, you don't need to be doing anything other than teaching your yoga class. Stop. Step away from the vehicle. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I can totally relate. Chapter two is called Irrational Discontent. And I love the title of this because I do think most of us suffer from this. It starts like this. You were actually raised in a pretty privileged environment. You bought into the common belief from an early age that more money and more power would mean more happiness. Talk to me about this because I also had the same misconception. And I'm sure plenty of our listeners has had some shade of this misconception. Yeah, I think a lot of us hear this, right? They hear, oh, money won't do this and money won't do that. And and yet, no matter how much we hear it, we still have some ways in which it sneaks in and says, yes, but if this was different, if I had a little more of that, if... And I think there's a certain level of truth to um, well, let me back that up. I think I think there's value to wanting to produce, value to wanting to create, well, value to being busy, uh, back to the original comment that you made. And yet, I think when we have this idea that at some point in the future we're going to be better off, it postpones our well-being and it really conditions it to something that's going to be out there different in the future. And what I realized in growing up in the environment that I grew up with was that I was surrounded by people that had way more than enough. I was surrounded by people that, by all measures of success from a financial perspective, had far exceeded anything that anyone else could envision. And yet, there was still this underlying thing that would sneak out and complain about things and still think that once they got somewhere else, then things would be better. And I mentor a lot of people and I mentor people that are starting out in their career and I mentor people that are very, very successful in financial terms. 
And most of us are still running that same belief that something is missing. And I'm, I don't know how deep I can go, but I know you've got a Zen practice, so I imagine the listeners are open to death. The Yeah, yeah, you can. We talk about death all the time here. I'm pretty obsessed with it, so get in there. Okay, I, I meant depth, but also death, uh, all of it. The see, <gasps> the truth is that that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the, I thought you said death, and I was like, totally. That's totally fair game, but depth as well. Yeah, yeah. See, I. It's a tricky thing, right? Because we, on one end, on the psychological framework, the idea that something in the future will make us whole we see it over and over again where we get somewhere we arrive at this big thing or we thought was going to make it for us and we still feel somehow incomplete rationally it doesn't make sense to be at any level complaining right because we have so much once we get to whatever the level of threshold and milestone what i've discovered is that the reason why i would feel discontent or incomplete was because I was orienting from a perspective of separateness. I was orienting from this sense of me as a separate self. And by definition, that is incomplete. It's almost like I was partitioning the wholeness of life and expecting that partition to feel oneness, to feel wholeness. Right, without realizing that it's right in between us. It's right within us, rather, within our own beings. Yeah. 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 Takes so long to get to that point. <laughs> you know, it can. And I've also believed that part of why I wrote the book is that my idea that it was so complicated and it was such a long, arduous journey of deconstructing everything is what kept me always seeking and always postponing. Because then I would say, okay, well, I have to go and do blah, 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 even if blah, 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 blah was sort of self-help or inner exploration. And, and once I do all of that, then I'll be okay. And it was just one more way in which I postponed the okayness that was present from the beginning. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. It's so beautiful to hear you talk about this. And I love the sort of energy behind your voice, the cadence of your voice. It's uh, its very soothing. I'm sure our listener is really enjoying it too. Maybe they're jogging though, and maybe they need something more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, I'm staying in this realm because I think it's very important uh, to talk about this. You were also, I mean, everything you've just said is very Buddhist, and you were raised Roman Catholic. Do you practice any tradition now? I don't. I um, I think I practice. <laughs> I, I've never said it like this, but I think my religion currently is connection, contribution, and adventure. Hmm. Thank you. How beautiful. Yeah. And really, my mission in life is just to leave a wake of love. And that, as a guiding principle, is very dynamic because it can show up in so many different ways. I can be jogging and listening to a podcast, or I can be sitting down meditating in stillness, or I can be financing a business or challenging an entrepreneur, or even going through legal paperwork with a lawyer and setting boundaries. And I think the challenge that some of us, some of us that are oriented towards this inner growth and exploration is that we associate 
truth, enlightenment, uh, awakening, whatever we want to call it, with a particular state of being. And that is just continuing to put conditions on what life is. And the freedom that I speak of is a non-conditional freedom, is one that is open chest towards whatever life presents at any given moment. Out of that curiosity for life, there's so much joy in it, much more joy than when I was pursuing joy and that when I was trying to manipulate life so that I would experience joy. It's interesting how often that conditionally we tie ourselves to that certain state of something that we perceive would be perfect to feel. And meanwhile, there's no such thing. It's like these you get a glimpse of connection or collaboration or adventure or any of your leaving a wake of love. You get glimpses of those things. And then you also have to do the laundry and, um, you know, pay your bills and live your life. But the glimpses strung together are kind of everything. And we miss that entirely. We miss that truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to suggest that the idea that the glimpses are any more divine than the confusion is part of the illusion that keeps us seeking. Because then we become glimpse seekers. Right? I was a glimpse seeker. I was a, an experience junkie. And whether those experiences in the past were feeling appreciated, acknowledged, success, getting the big deal, they shifted then to spiritual insights, moments of awakening, moments where I saw everything as one, moments where I was in a state of flow. But as long as I was associating that with life or that with truth, which was what I was most drawn to as a word, and I was still subtly trying to exert control saying, this is okay, this is not okay. And that kept me spinning. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. The glimpse seekers. What I'm trying to say, and I'm not really being super articulate, is that I'm just down for catching a glimpse of something. I can't even pursue it anymore because if I pursue it, it's like some elusive, slippery something that just gets out of my hands, you know? <laughs> totally. But if I stay open, right? If I stay open and I just go, all right, I'm open to having this experience. I'm right now in the middle of some pile of, you know, confusion. And I'm open to seeing some other thing here. Mm. That's kind of how I work in those crazy moments. It's interesting. I was really inspired on page 86 of your book. Again, it's called The Mystery of You. Rooted here is the section, and it's just like a small paragraph at the bottom of this page. A lot of the friends I've had the pleasure of mentoring admit the one thing they love the most is closing a deal. I love a challenge. I love making things happen. Those same individuals, however, recognize there's a difference between the drive that comes from enthusiasm and the one that is entangled with an attachment to a particular outcome. So this is kind of the discrepancy and also the distinction that we need to make. 
If we can untangle the original impulse and motivation from the overtaxing thoughts that project our well-being into the future, we can engage with whatever we're doing in a more sustainable way. So said another way, the original impulse to make something happen, to create a project, to do anything, and the motivation that we have to do that, if we can untangle that from the sort of thought forms that put us into the future in a better place than we are right now, if we can keep those two things untangled, the projects will be more fun. And the mind will be less taxed, such a good word that you used, by these future iterations of ourselves that have no bearing on the present moment, that actually keep us out of the present moment. So which leads to my next question for you, which is, what are your thoughts on this concept of, we'll call it manifesting, even though I'm so over that word, but I know that it works for me to see myself in the future, in a situation, in a place, in holding a book that has yet to be written, you know, I know that's helped me. And yet, I also know that we need to untangle the enthusiasm for the thing from this future obsession. How do we do that? <laughs> I love that question. When I speak to this with individuals, what I like to invite them into is to consider and to become aware of what experience they're looking to achieve once the thing they're looking to manifest comes into fruition. And oftentimes it's quite easy for people that, that have a strong vision to say, well, I would feel blah, 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 blah. And then I invite them to drop into the body and say, can you connect with that experience right now? Can you drop into the energetic in your system, the somatic uh, experience of what getting that would feel like. And with a little imagination, most people, it's strangely enough, women tend to have an easier job doing it, but also, also men. They can feel in their bodies a sense of whatever it is, openness, aliveness, excitement. Oftentimes it's rest. Right? It's like, if I get that thing that I'm trying to manifest, then I'll be able to rest. And then I just invite them to truly embody the carrot that they're seeking to go and chase right now and then to connect with its essence and with a flavor in their bodies and then to go and create from there and what it does is it stops conditioning that experience that we're so looking to feel to getting the carrot and then we can still go and chase after the carrot but we are capable of doing it from inner impulse that is to use what you were sharing, is no longer uh, immersed or, or enmeshed with the outcome. Part of what entrepreneurship entails, uh, entrepreneurship or any, any project really, is the, it's a capacity to be open enough to recognize when one needs to pivot and course correct and move to a different direction or adapt. And, and a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've seen fail are ones which are so attached to the outcome that they weren't able to notice the cues that they needed to make tight or smaller adjustments. What I think is tricky 
is that manifesting is, I hear it more and more used by individuals that are somehow, it's become the new control mechanism for the ego. And it's almost like you're giving the ego a magic wand, right? And the ego is super excited about that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the ego and using its, its tremendous energy to go and accomplish things. But it also creates a, it's easy for it to sneak this sense of a new identity that gets emboldened, the identity of the controller, of the one that knows what should happen. It's almost like the opposite of thy will, if that makes sense. Yeah. Thy will be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. <sighs> yeah, there was a very subtle point in there when you were talking. I didn't want to interrupt him learning how not to do that. But there was a very subtle point where you sort of invite the person into the energy of the thing and then you invite them to create from there without being attached to how it turns out. And I think that's important to highlight. Do I have that correct? Yes. See, the energy, ultimately, it really doesn't matter what the experience is. It's a sneaky way of saying can you get closer to the present moment? Can you bring your attention to the aliveness that is currently here? And that aliveness is not exclusive to positive experiences. I've experienced more aliveness inside of tiredness than I ever imagined possible when I get really curious and intimate with the sensation of it. So whatever I'm using as a doorway into what their current experience is like in their body, ultimately the aliveness is what I'm interested in them nurturing the attention there so that from that aliveness, creation happens. From that aliveness, planning happens. Like I'm, I'm not saying 
don't go out into the future and create ideas of what it could be. I think that's beautiful. But stay as close to the source of that aliveness as mm. you can. Yeah, that makes sense. Wonderful. Makes me want to be one of your clients right now. Mm. I'm now moving to page 122. And I think this is really important for the listener who happens to be a parent, but for all of us. Oh, sorry, 132. When my kids are angry, I recommend they find the capacity to be with the anger and move that energy in a healthy manner. There are appropriate places and respectful ways to express our emotions. If we allow the raw sensations to exist, the energy itself can find its natural flow. Sometimes, however, we dig in and become invested in holding on to an emotion because there are parts of us that aren't ready to let go. Therein lies the work. Thanks to my children, I have relearned how to relate with emotions and be curious when they arrive. This can be a tall order, but I try to honor the feelings and, when appropriate, examine any unresolved issues that may be at their root. Sometimes recurring emotions are like nudges from the subconscious, signaling that we are in need of healing. I appreciate that so much, the raw sensations that exist and the energy itself finding its natural flow. I think that's really strong. And I've watched, I'm sure you have this experience too, but I've watched as the layers of complexity have been erected on my child's psyche. Literally, I've watched as this influence comes into the picture and that influence comes into the picture and I can see him dropping this one and picking up that one. People, places, um, we were just away on a long trip in Japan and I watched him pick up a ton of somatic information and experience there. And he's like 6'2", much taller than I am and I'm watching this happen still. And I wonder if you could speak to what it is that we can teach our kids, no matter what their age, in real language. Like, how did you invite your kids to notice the anger and move the energy in a healthy manner? In a healthy manner, excuse me. Yeah, I love the parenting realm. And I love it because it applies to all of us, whether we're parents or not because we may not have children of our own, but we are at some level reparenting parts of us always that developmentally are stuck in different stages and where wounding happened at some point or another. And I, I do things with the kids that sometimes my wife will say, wait, wait, do that thing that you do with the kids with me right now. Because it really is just relational. right? And first and foremost, I think we were, I was never taught that whatever was going on was okay inside of me. I was more taught that I needed to behave in certain ways, comply in others, uh, to be able to sort of suppress when appropriate and experience, certainly not to speak my truth if that was in any way compromising to a status quo or if that was to a grown-up. So, I mean, these are just some examples that are so normal in our society and I think we become these little, almost like energetic clumps that 
back to what you were reading of the flow of the energy, where our energy starts finding ways to get stuck along the way. And it creates almost like these nodes of clustered energy that just are not allowed to circulate as freely. And so with my kids, more than teaching them really, is I do a lot of listening. And I catch myself as quickly as I can when I pretend to know better. When I am coming onto them with an agenda, sometimes there's appropriate things, but more and more I notice that I am less necessary as a uh, dictator, which is what I used to be with them, and more as just someone that is able to nudge them when they're a little bit off course. So when one of my children is experiencing something deeply, normally my reaction is to make them feel better. Right? If they get hurt, I want to make them feel better. My mind goes into fixing mode. And what I've really paid attention to and what they've taught me to do is to just get really present with what's there for them. It's almost like I am reminding them of the perfection of the moment, even when they're forgetting that things are perfect. I am being a loving presence for all of their inner experience. They already have their own ideas of what should and shouldn't be and they're because they're a little bit older, but even when they were younger, it's very quickly that we adapt these ideas of right and wrong and unpleasant and pleasant. But if I can be this loving container where everything is allowed, where there's infinite space for sadness or for anger, and that's where I point this piece that you read, that distinction between anger and aggression, right? It's one thing if, if they're channeling that anger and hitting people, right? That needs to be appropriately addressed. But just the raw sensation of anger is something that I was so unfamiliar with. So I never felt like I had a container where that was okay. I felt like if I truly tapped into it, then, well, it meant a lot of things about me, certainly that I wasn't as good a person as I thought, blah, 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 blah. But it also felt scary. It's like, oh, I don't know where this ends. So I think ultimately, whether it's children or each other, what we are looking for is to be continuously reminded of our inherent okayness, whatever our experience is. Hmm. Wonderful. I think that was the topic of a few, more than a few conversations that I was able to have with him while we were away. We were so far away, and it was just the two of us at most of the time and meals and things. And we got to have conversations like that where it was um, a really beautiful complete thought that even when it sucks it's actually exactly how it's supposed to be and as parents i think it's really important to for me at least and for some of the parents that i mentor to break down all these ideas of what a perfect parent is right? to get really clear with what that means for each of us for me it doesn't mean not messing up Right? For me, it doesn't mean guaranteeing that things don't suck. For me, it means that when I mess up, I'm able to take responsibility for it and model what it's like to take responsibility and model what it's like to experience suckness and frustration and upsetness in a way that is both real but also responsible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think that kids in general are never hearing our words, and they're always only picking up on our actions. It's so important to think about that. Okay, 
So that brings me to a couple of last quotes that I wanted to go over with you. Um, There was a story about a person, I guess a client, uh, named Drew in the book. We're still on page 132, going into 133 and 4. Who had a thing with his brother that he had to act angry so his brother would know how serious things were for him. He couldn't just speak to his brother about it. It was like this belief system that kept a really unhealthy dynamic going between them. And I would love for you to talk about this because I think there's, you know, at least one or two listeners who will find it helpful to reconfigure a paradigm that has been in place for a long time with probably one or two well-wrought conversations. Yeah, I think that's very relevant. And I just want to clarify, I don't have any clients. They're all people that I mentor. It's just part of my contribution. But oftentimes I feel like I'm the client with them, but it feels... But in, Well, his name's not Drew, but I use Drew as a name. In, in this particular case, just for the listeners, there was a situation at work where boundaries were being crossed. And I think we can all relate to having boundaries crossed one way or another. And if you have healthy boundaries and self-respect, it's likely that you'll be able to share what works and what doesn't work from a place of, you know, where your heart doesn't need to close. I didn't know how to keep boundaries because I loved to feel valuable. And I loved uh, when people would uh, ask me for help. And so I would give and give and give. and, And then when I would sort of pendulum back, when I felt like I was being taken advantage, then my boundaries would come across as harsh. And uh, and it's really because I just was, I loved pleasing. And it was like an addiction to please. And then all of a sudden it would cross a line that I wasn't even aware I had crossed. And then I would come back with that harshness uh, or that anger. Even if that anger wasn't appropriate, then I would convert that anger into uh, complaining or, or just poor me. or So there are all these other ways in which I, I managed to navigate around what was uncomfortable. But I think the takeaway from this is being able to discern between the emotion and the information. And oftentimes we think that without the emotion, in this case anger, the other individual won't learn and we won't be able to take care of ourselves. And I certainly can relate to that. When those boundaries are crossed, I feel like I need to truly express with a certain harshness and raise my voice or do whatever I need to do to make sure to get really what I'm trying to do is guarantee that I'm going to be okay. Guarantee that this isn't going to be breached again. And yet what I've realized is that I am much more efficient at setting those boundaries when I am coming from a place that's integrated inside of me where I can trust that I can take care of myself. I can trust where that line is for me. See, the anger really is projected onto someone else, but it's self-anger. It's self-anger for not being able to take care of myself better. Self-anger for feeling that I betrayed myself and what was okay and what was not okay. But if I can develop that trust with my self-care and my inner knowing to understand 
what is okay and what is not okay and to set those boundaries when those are being crossed, then I no longer need the anger. I no longer almost need the other person to change because I can give them the information and they can decide to change or not to change. And if they decide not to change, then I can take care of myself and take appropriate action, whatever that may be. It's only when I don't trust myself to take appropriate action or to set my boundaries that I'm trying to change the other person with those added emotions, which I'm really just projecting, right? Because I'm really, that's totally directed at me. Yeah. So interesting, as you were speaking, all of my NVC understanding and some IFS learnings come into my mind and I can see the protector parts and I can see the parts that reject my own humanity and I can see the tendency toward judging ourselves and, you know, really in your bio, this unworthiness, this pandemic of unworthiness that we are all kind of suffering from to some extent, I can see it all. So interesting. I love that we have so many languages, right? So many ways of, um, it's almost like back to our original comment of the operating system. It's like we've got this programming and somehow if we can start to understand it better and it normalizes behaviors in us and others. It's like, oh, this is not personal. This is just how all these human. things. Yeah, yeah. Just human. Just human. I want to encourage our listener to get acquainted with your book. Again, it's called The Mystery of You. Freedom is closer than you think. Emilio Diaz Barroso, my brother, <laughs> I am so happy that we got to do this. I want to extend the invitation to our listener, as Emilio does on the back of this book, to uncover a peace that is untouched by the happenings of life. That's the invitation of this book. I really um, have enjoyed so much sinking into your heart by reading this book and talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more. Um, is there anything that you would like to add and share with our listener, including but not exclusive to how our listener can find you? Uh, I'd like to invite anyone listening right now just to notice what is present in this moment for them, energetically in the body. Maybe it's the belly, maybe it's the shoulders. And just see if you can make just a little more space, a little more allowance for curiosity to be here and see if the relationship to what is here, whether that's internal or external, can be a more open one just for this moment. And to use the body as a, as a gateway into closer experience of reality to a more direct experience than the one that the mind projects, which is typically in the past or in the future. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. And is there a website that we can find you at anywhere that our listener can visit? Yeah, you can go to uh, emiliosbook.com. And I have some... Uh, oh, that's a nice website. Right? <laughs> Emilio's book. Yeah. 
genius. Wonderful. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes too, so that our listener can see it just below this recording. Amazing. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you. Thank you for having me show up in the world. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.